Hi there, and welcome to the Grief and Rebirth podcast. I'm your host, author and trauma survivor, Irene Weinberg, here to encourage you wherever you are in your healing journey. In each episode, I chat with incredible grief and trauma specialists, healers, mediums, and celebs, as well as remarkable people who have inspiring healing stories to share. If you're looking for a podcast that's both uplifting and inspiring, you've found it. Let us help you find your joy in life. Hi, everyone. I truly hope this finds each of you so very well. I'm speaking to you from my studio in West Orange, New Jersey. Delighted to have this opportunity to interview author and educator Jeff Jansen, who will be speaking to us from Apex, North Carolina. After suffering, after almost suffering, a widowmaker heart attack at the relatively young age of 42, Jeff started seeking answers to life's biggest questions, such as, who am I? Why are we here? And what happens to us when we die? His serious quest to discover solid and soul-satisfying answers to his questions led Jeff to the stories of over 2,500 near-death experience accounts, which were synthesized into his enlightening new book that is titled, 10 Life-Changing Lessons from Heaven, Discover Who You Really Are, Why You're Here, and How to Find and Fulfill Your Life's Sacred Purpose. I'll soon be asking Jeff questions about some of the life-changing lessons from heaven detailed in his book, answers to the questions he initially posed to himself, and more. But first, we need to take a quick minute to show some love to our sponsors. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hi, Jeff. A warm welcome to Grief and Rebirth podcast. I really appreciate you having me on. Oh, it's such a pleasure. Such a pleasure. And you're an interesting guy. This is going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's start our interview with this question. Please sum up your life in the sports world before your close brush with death. Tell us about your brush with death and share the five big questions within you that compelled you to research the stories of people who said they had died, visited heaven, and came back for a second chance at life after having a so-called near-death experience. Yeah, I'd be happy to. I mean, I, I've been fortunate. I spent 25 years in the sports world uh, teaching people how to be better leaders and build championship cultures and working with lots of college and high school teams and had been uh, really enjoying that. And then at the uh, age of 42, I started to feel some stuff in my chest that I thought, oh, that's just heartburn. And probably over the course of maybe two weeks or so, I had four different bouts of this stuff. So I'm thinking, okay, well, I probably should get this checked out. And I Either went- Either that or I maybe should go to McDonald's a few fewer times or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, had, I definitely had a lot of that growing up, but uh, for sure, I, I started to feel this and I thought, okay, I better go get this checked out. And uh, the uh, it was actually a nurse practitioner and she said, well, you know, it's it's probably nothing, but why don't you just go and let's just on the precaution get a stress test. So I ended up getting a stress test about an hour later, fortunately is associated with the hospital. And I start running on this treadmill 
and I'm feeling this crushing pain in my chest and pain radiating down my left arm. And they're like, Mr. Jansen, Mr. Jansen, you, you, you've got to step off. And they gave me a nitroglycerin tablet, had me lie down. And I knew something was seriously wrong. And, and the doctor came in and basically said, okay, well, we're, we're going to uh, probably have to prep you for open heart surgery this afternoon. Or if it's, if the blockage is in a good spot, maybe we can get some stints in. And I was just blown away and had, you know, called my wife and my kids were in school. So I'm like, take them out of school and let's go. And, and I ended up having a, uh, uh, basically checking out a uh, catheterization and uh, found out that I had a 99% blockage in my Widowmaker artery. So oh my fortunately they put two stints in, um, didn't have to have the full open heart surgery, but that kind of heart stopping news certainly gets you to start thinking very differently about life and started asking me, you know, I started asking what would have happened to me? if I would have died. And I had been raised Catholic. So of course you start thinking, okay, would, would I've gone to heaven? Would I've gone to hell? And you know, what would have happened to my family? And all these different questions start swirling around your brain that you, you know, had never even thought of before really at this level of in-depthness. So yeah, it really sent me on this kind of quest for what would have happened. And I started looking at, I had read uh, Raymond Moody's book, Life After Life and started looking more in depth and near death experiences. And they really started answering a lot of these questions for me because these people had, you know, basically died and they call them near death experiences. The vast majority of them had died and then came back and just had, you know, not only answers, but insights and lessons and all of these things just resonated with me and answered all the questions that I had and then some. So that kind of was what started me on that journey almost 10 years ago now. And I've still been on that journey. So it's uh, been quite a change, but uh, certainly a welcomed one and has made me hopefully a much broader and kinder and, and more peaceful person than I probably was uh, almost 10 years ago now. Absolutely. And all that contributes to helping you not have any more of those dang heart attacks or anything like that too yeah yeah 42, you were really young to go through that so after reading and listening to the over 2500 near-death experience accounts of the afterlife and the life-changing lessons learned while there you discovered striking similarities between the story's numerous nuggets of undeniable truth and profound wisdom this brought you the realization that these people did indeed have an otherworldly experience and returned totally transformed. In what ways were they transformed, Jeff? Yeah, they were transformed in a lot of different ways. Um, certainly one thing that they tend to do is, is they're much more loving. One of the biggest things that they experience on the other side is it's almost for them indescribable or ineffable is often what they say, but basically this unconditional love. No matter what they had done in their lives, that this love, they could just feel it almost through every cell of their body. And when they come back, it's like, I want to try to emulate that love. And I want to try to be that love with other people. Um, they're much more forgiving people. They tend to, uh, whatever religion they have, they tend to be much more accepting and more spiritual in what they do. Um, a lot of them have relationship changes sometimes that the people who are in their lives because of who they are and how they change. Uh, they kind of become different people. Their professions often change. And a lot of them eat a lot better. Some of them go from eating meat to vegetarian. 
So there's just a lot of emotional changes, a lot of psychological changes. For them, that competitive dog-eat-dog world out there isn't that big of a deal. They're less materialistic. So they become usually a lot of times more spiritually evolved people almost you know, close to instantaneously with this experience, but it often takes them seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years to figure out, okay, what happened to me? And this world that I thought I knew is now way bigger than what I originally thought it was. It kind of sounds like this love that they experience on the other side, not only are they more loving to other people, but they have a more, um, more self-love also. They take better care of themselves. For sure. Yeah, it is something. It's, it's just a transformative thing, as I said, both internally and externally. So according to Gallup polls, approximately 16 to 19 million people in the United States have had a near-death experience, or roughly 5 to 6% of the population. What are the most common elements experienced by near-death experiencers, regardless of a person's race, religion, and gender? For instance, do they all travel through a tunnel to the other side? Yeah, each, each uh, experience is unique, but they tend to have similar elements to them. Um, Jeff Long has written several books on the near-death experience and can give you percentages of how many have the tunnel and how many have a life review and all that. But I'll, I'll go through some of the uh, typical ones, and then each experience is different. But certainly one of the things that a lot of them feel is this leaving their body, a rising up out of their body. And a lot of them are then watching the situation down below, whether it's a, uh, a hospital situation and the doctors are working on them or certainly a car accident like your experience. They're watching the situation. And a lot of times it's in a way that's almost detached from it. And it's like, hmm, that's kind of interesting um, down there. And they're watching this and they start to feel this unconditional love in this peace and this joy, even though they might have just been in an accident or just had a heart attack. It's they've left that physical body. And now they're starting to spiritually move away from it all. And some may see a tunnel. Um, they usually see a light. Some of them will see deceased relatives or spiritual figures. Some of them will have what's called a life review where they end up seeing their life from birth until death. And not only do they see their life, they re-experience it. They experience it from other people's perspective. They have a bigger picture understanding of why people might hurt them or why they might hurt other people. So there's lots of different elements, but it's often that they get to almost a border or a point of no return. And then they're either, either given the choice, would you like to go back or would you like to go on? Or sometimes they're told, you still have a purpose to fulfill. We aren't ready for you yet. You need to go back. And most of them throw like toddler temper tantrums saying, I want to stay here. It's so nice. It's so beautiful. It's so loving. I, I don't want to go back, especially if they had an accident or something with well, their they're body. They're going back to they a lot don't of want pain. To go back to that broken yeah. body. And then, as I said, some of them choose to because they've got a relationship. I, I need to be there for somebody or the divine says, uh -uh, you got more to do before uh, we're going to have you back here. But we'll have you back here at some point. You just got a little <laughs> more work to do down there. Kind of takes away the fear of death for them also, I would imagine. 
It, no it definitely does. That's one of the biggest things that I've had in doing this uh, discussion group and things with people is for a lot of them, you know, they say, I, I fear death. I had a tremendous fear of death. And after hearing all these stories and these people saying that they a lot of times rather stay there than come back, a lot of people understand, okay, this death thing that I feared for most of my life, wow, all these people are saying it's it's amazing there. Yeah, I can imagine for some of them who have a life review, they're like, I better, I better revise the way I was living my life. Uh, uh, I, I want the movie to be better the next time I, I get back there. <laughs> and, and I'm one of those, Irene. I, I'm one of those people that as I looked at the first 42 years of my life, you know, I don't think I was an evil person, but certainly I, you know, I'm an impatient person. I'm somebody who's, you know, a type A kind of person and all that. And you know, I've certainly not uh, totally improved, but I hopefully now after 42 years, the last nine years or so, the life review that I'm going to see is going to be better than hopefully it was the first 42 years. Good to have that in mind, though. It's a wonderful lesson to be mindful of that. And you have a fascinating story that I just loved about this woman who survived a plane crash and during her near-death experience was shown her future son named Nathaniel, who she had seven years later. Could you share that with us, Jeff? Yeah, I'd be happy to. It uh, comes from Ronell Wallace, and she's got a great book called The Burning Within. And she and her husband were just in a small little plane, and the plane had mechanical issues and ended up crashing into the side of a mountain. And somehow, miraculously, both of them lived. Um, and it was in this remote mountain. And uh, she basically, you know, had burns all across her face. I think a good portion of her body was burned, but they were able to, you know, walk, I think a few miles and get some help. But during this experience, she had a near death experience and she's, you know, leaving her body and her grandmother appears to her and says, Oh, Renelle, you know, when you go back, and Renelle's like, I'm not going back. Look at me down there. My face is basically melted off. I can't go back into that burned, charred out body. And all of a sudden, here comes a young boy walking and he's kind of crying. And Renelle's like, uh, Who's that, Grandma? Oh, well, that's your son, Nathaniel. He's going to be coming to you. But if you decide that you can't go back, He's not going to get his opportunity to come to earth wow. and learn his lessons. So, Renelle, what, what would you like to do? And she's looking at this kid who's going to be her son. And she decides, even though she's got to go back into this broken body oh, that's huh. been burned, she's going to go back and decide to be his, his mother and help him. And sure enough, seven years later, after this accident, she has a son and, of course, names him Nathaniel. So quite a uh, powerful story in terms of, you know, the, the things that we can experience and, and the purpose that we have in life. Right. What a validation that this is real also, my goodness. Yeah. Well, near-death experiencers often meet loved ones who have passed on before them, like you said, she saw her grandmother. What do those who have already died wish for the rest of us who are still in our bodies? And in what way is earth considered a kind of school for the education of our evolving souls whose primary curriculum seems to revolve around love. It does. And, and that's what uh, they want us to know is that this is an opportunity to learn how to love ourselves, to learn how to better love other people, to learn how to better receive love. And they also talk about how important it is that you know we, we live fearlessly, that there's lots of lessons that they want us to learn. And it seems like each of us comes here 
with one, two, three primary lessons that we're supposed to learn, but this is really an opportunity. It's, it's a school for us to evolve and develop our souls so that we can be, as I said, more loving or live more fearlessly or be more compassionate or more patient in my case, whatever <laughs> it may be. So these are all things that, that they want us to learn. And, and they tell us that basically from their perspective, which a lot of people say, the other side is a timeless kind of perspective. Well, it seems like we're waiting here forever to yeah. you know, be reunited with our loved ones. For them, it's like, okay, we're still with you. We still see what's going on. We're still a part of your life. And from our perspective, you're going to be here in like a blink of an eye. So, you know, they're, they're excited to see us, but they know that we have a specific purpose down here and they're here cheering us on, supporting us, guiding us and, and, hopefully helping us from the other side. So it's a kind of funny visual to think that we leave home, which is heaven. We come here to school with an assignment. We have homework to do. We do. It's like a boarding school is what I tell people, a boarding school for our souls. Yeah, you know, we got to leave here and we're going to have some fun stuff. We're going to have also some challenges, but we all get to go back and we'll all be back together again. Fascinating. So you were talking about one of the lessons is to live fearlessly. So for our listeners, what's the difference between living in fear, which I think many people live in fear, and living fearlessly because do you throw caution out the window? I mean, what is, what is that difference? Yeah, it, it's a good question. I think, you know, certainly there are physical fears that uh, our body is, is designed with a, a fight or flight response that if there is something, a, a hot stove or a cliff coming up or something like that, yeah, naturally, we need to have that self-preservation and have that fear. But most of the fears that we have are ones that we concoct in our own minds. We're, we're afraid of going after a career that we really want to have that probably aligns with our life's purpose. We're afraid of asking a person out because we might be rejected by them. We're afraid of a myriad of things. And for so many of us, that, that fear holds us hostage for most of our lives. And we don't try things and we don't uh, break out of our shells and we look back at our life and we're like oh my goodness i spent 40 years of my life afraid and i found out at the end of life there was nothing to be afraid of and i end up limiting myself so one of the things that we talk a lot about and in the years talk a lot about near-death experiencers talk a lot about is to live fearlessly. And Nina Morjani, some of your uh, listeners might be familiar with, and she talks so much that she lived her whole life out of fear and ended up when her near-death experiences and realizing, wow, most of the fears I had were never even real. And, and she lives now much more fearlessly and encourages us to do the same thing. It's a great message. And then another lesson is to work purposely, that we're all spiritual beings on a human mission with an assignment of love. Tell us about that. Yeah, it seems like every one of us has at least one, if not multiple purposes during different phases of our lives. One of those purposes could be being a parent. One of those purposes might be helping a friend or a relative through a terminal illness. One of those purposes might be aligned with our career and what we're supposed to do. So it seems like the near-death experiencers tell us we have a purpose in the world 
to make it a better place, to make it a more loving place. But oftentimes we also have an internal purpose that our soul wants to get better at something and we're throwing a bunch of challenges and a bunch of adversities and we're asked to see if we can respond with love or respond with patience. So it's like we have, you know, not only an external purpose, but also an internal purpose that we're here. And as I said, if we haven't yet achieved that, Sometimes we're told, uh-uh, uh, we'll, we'll accept you eventually, but you still have you to still do more your to work down there. You, you've got something to do. People are relying on you. You know, Jeff, that would seem to me to point to the fact that we each have a choice when, we're, when we have challenges that come along and things that happen. You can really go the low road or you can go the high road and you have a choice about how you handle different things. Absolutely correct. That is one of the biggest things that near-death experiencers tell us is that life is just choice after choice after choice after choice. And number one, we have to recognize that choice. And then number two, we have to think, okay, are we making a choice based out of love or are we making a choice based out of fear? And hopefully as time goes on and we learn our lessons, we're making many more choices based out of love than the ones based out of fear. Or you go back and you have to repeat some of your experiences, right? I would think. Oftentimes you do. Yeah, we're often taught that we get uh, we get lessons uh, presented to us. And if we keep not getting that lesson, it's going to come back. And usually a lot tougher as time goes on to really try to get it through our head. Hey, let's see if we can respond differently with this. So my, one of my favorite things that I read in your book is that near-death experiencers return accepting others non-judgmentally and loving everyone, which is a great lesson. But does this mean that we're all supposed to excuse bad behavior? And what's the difference between judgment and discernment? You spoke about yeah, that a, too. A great question. Uh, Dave Bennett, who's a near-death experiencer, his book is called Voyage of Purpose. He said that was one of the things that he learned during his near-death experience was so many of us judge people. We judge people oh, based on their looks. We judge people yes. based on their income, based on their sexual uh, orientation, all these different things. And what he learned on the other side is that we are all loved, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done in life, that there is no favorite group that only this group is going to get to the other side and this group is not going to get to the other side. And what he said he learned is there's certain things or certain behaviors that may not be a fit for him that may not work in his life, but I'm not going to put a label on it as bad or negative or evil or anything like that. I'm going to say, you know what, that's not a fit for me. And I choose not to spend my time with those people who want to do those things or so that's not support them financially. That's discernment. That is discernment, discernment. exactly. So you're trying to say it's, it's a fit for me or it's not, but it's not good or not bad in one way. It's just, it fits or it doesn't fit for me. That's a great way. That's a really great way to see that because we all have people in our lives that we judge as bad people or we say in my particular case i'll say i'm going to detach from that person with love that's a toxic person for me but i like the way you put it it's that person or what they do is just not a good fit for me and it's hard to do, as you said, but that's what we're challenged or asked to do during our time here in school. It's like certain people you're going to hang out with after class and other people <laughs> you're, you're not going to shun, but you're also <laughs> not going to purposely put yourself in their, in their, in their uh, orbit. Group. 
Yeah. So you learn that many hardships that arise may have been planned to teach us specific areas we want to improve. When are they planned? And how do these challenges help us to improve? Yeah, and, and this is certainly a uh, controversial kind of topic for some people sometimes that, you know, before we come here, there may be uh, some talk of, okay, what if, if we're trying to work on a certain lesson, are we going to meet certain hardships in life that are going to force us to act with the patients that we're trying to work on or anything like that. So, you know, there are some people that may say, okay, in consultation with uh, either the divine, or if you believe that we have guides or guardian angels that are coming um, and guiding us down here, that we may have certain challenges um, that we may be presented with. And there's one uh, near-death experiencer who talks about life's hardships as spiritual muscle builders. It's almost like we go into the weight room and when you're in there, you're taxing and you're going through this grueling workout and it hurts physically, it hurts mentally. You don't know if you're going to get through that lift. And it's a lot of the same things in life with the grief that we experience. It's emotionally draining. It's physically draining. You don't know if you can get through that, but oftentimes it's those things that help us find something in us that we wouldn't have realized without that searing pain and grief. There's a great example of the lodgepole pine, or lodgepole pine cone that the only way that this pine cone ever opens up is if it has this high searing heat of a forest fire. That's the only way it's ever going to open up and create new life. And sometimes, unfortunately, it's the same thing for us. Sometimes we have to face the searing heat of tragedy in life, that that's the only way that we crack open to become a different person out of all of this and yeah it absolutely hurts and sucks and it's yes. horrible as you're going yes. through it yes but a lot of the moms that i've worked with say you know what in the end i have become with the help of my child or with the help of my loved one a much better and totally different person that i never would have been had that not had happened that's a so true. In fact, in a way, you could say that happened to you and it happened to me also because we both had searing experiences. So we've lived it, that. It right? did. And, and, it, and as you know, and, and we all know, it, it hurts. And you're wondering, ah, why does this terrible. have to be? But sooner or later, we do see amazing growth in ourselves. And hopefully then it's a lesson that we can help others grow just as you're doing with this podcast. Yeah, we pass it forward. Um, this is also fascinating to me. Uh, Near-death experiencers tell us, according to you, uh, that we will reap the rewards of being a forgiving person in heaven. What does it mean to be the more spiritually evolved person and forgive? And what rewards will that bring us in heaven? Do we get extra cookies? We get a glass of champagne? <laughs> it would be nice. It, I, it would be nice if I could guarantee you that. But uh, <laughs> Danian Brinkley, some of your uh, people might be familiar with him. He's probably one of the more famous NDEers. He's been on uh, Oprah, I believe, and The Tonight Show and has several books out and actually has a movie about him as well. I think it's called Saved by the Light. 
Uh, he said that he learned in his near-death experience was that forgiveness was probably the best sign of our spiritual development. Because in essence, we're asked to love unconditionally people who hurt us, people who hurt us physically, people who hurt us financially, emotionally, spiritually, you name it. We're asked to say, I forgive you. And that's one of the toughest ones, I think, out of these 10 lessons that I learned. And for sometimes it's forgiving other people for the hurt they cause for us. And one of the things that near-death experiencers tell us is they get to see what the person's intention was and what drove that behavior. And probably 99 times out of 100, that person had such a hurt inside of themselves that they didn't know how to process, that they didn't know how to work through, that they didn't know how to recover from. And that hurt was easier to throw on somebody else and hurt them and bring them down to the same miserable feeling they were feeling. And they see that and they understand that in their life review. And somehow they're able to feel some understanding and some empathy and even forgiveness because now they know it wasn't a personal thing necessarily. It was they were so hurt themselves that the only way they could process that was throw that on me. And for a lot of people, especially those who are grieving, forgiving yourself. I, I've heard so many moms a lot of times and dads who blame themselves when they have a child pass away, even if they had absolutely nothing to do with it whatsoever, that parental instinct kicks in and says, I, I should have stopped them from getting in the car, or I should have had a conversation with them, or I should have whatever. And so many of them carry around this guilt and they can't forgive themselves because that that haunts them for a long time. So a lot of times we talk about the ability not just to forgive others, but forgive yourself. And what, what a lot of forgiveness is, is releasing the situation, not letting it haunt you. Uh, not forgiving is like carrying a backpack of bricks around the rest of your life. And sometimes I'll even have people put in a bunch of bricks in a backpack and carry it around for 24 or 48 hours and say, it's like that you're carrying that situation with you. Can we release it? It doesn't mean that what that person did was right or wrong, but you need to forgive so that you can release it and not stay tied to that other person or that situation. Right. So you could kind of detach and not be involved with that person, whatever you can deal with it as best you can, but not to let it consume you. To forgive is to set a prisoner free. And oftentimes that prisoner is yourself, which is what Lewis Smedes once said. Wow. Now you've shared the 10 life-changing lessons with numerous groups including parents who have had children pass away as part of helping parents heal, formerly incarcerated women as part of a new way of life, members of the International Association of Near-Death Studies, and people from all religious backgrounds and faiths through your soul peeps support groups. I think a lot of people in our audience might want to join your soul peeps support groups. Could you tell us about that? Yeah, I would love to. I mean, I, I learned so much and it's really gratifying for me, as you said, for people who go through this, they, a lot of times, as you said, if they had a fear of death or if they had certain things uh, that might have been haunting them, the opportunity to go through this in a systematic way, they're usually 10 weeks or so. And what we do is we take a chapter 
in each of our, in, in the book that's there. So we have the 10 life-changing lessons. Um, I will have a near-death experiencer usually join us. Jeff Olson has been a great one and he'll join us and share his story as well. And what we do is we get a chance to read through the book, but then we discuss it and we talk about how does this impact you and what stuff does fits with maybe your religious upbringing or your spiritual path or whatever it may be and the support that's there and the honesty that's there and the authenticity that's there. What's always so neat for me is, you know, most of the time when we start with these groups are anywhere from 10 to 15 people and almost everybody's a complete stranger, not really sure, what should I say, should I be open? And by the end, I've actually created another program called Living the 10 Lessons because the people are like, we don't want this to stop. We've developed such a good bond with each other. These are things that we can't talk about with our other friends or our relatives, but we can talk about these with each other. So we then have this, you know, not only our soul peeps groups, but then we have a living the 10 lessons kind of one as well. So we learn a ton, you know, uh, about uh, so many different things and about each other. And it's just a great bond. One of our groups actually ended up walking um, in Spain, the Camino de Santiago oh, as well. Cool so we've, we've, wow. yeah, we've, we've really bonded in some ways oh. that went way beyond just our little 10 weeks together. Amazing. Now, do you also do it online? Is it possible or it's in person? Yeah, That's, and no, yeah, it's like all, from, all of them people. are online. So we've got people from all over the place, Canada and all across the uh, coast. Um, we've had some different people interested from other countries. So yeah, it's all oh. online, especially That's with all fabulous. the COVID stuff that's been going on. So I, I've met a lot of people all across the country uh, over Zoom through our Soul Peeps groups. That's so cool. And you've also talked about the dozens of beautiful and strong souls who have had children pass away that they taught you three significant lessons. Would you like to share those three lessons with us? Yeah, I mean, the first one um, comes from one of our Soul Peeps uh, named Iris. And she basically said, you know what? If, if your child went missing, wouldn't you go look for him or her? And that's in essence what happens, obviously, when someone passes away is they go missing. You're not sure for most people where they went or what's happened to them or are they okay? Are they safe? So for a lot of you know people who are grieving, it sends them on this spiritual quest and this journey, you know, much like me for 42 years. Oh yeah, there's probably having or something like that. But <laughs> now it's like, oh my goodness, where, where would I have gone? And parents who lose kids or spouses who lose a spouse or whatever, you want to know what happened to Absolutely. them and where they went. So that's one of the things that just as if you had had somebody go missing, you try to find out where they went. And for a lot of these parents, they end up going on a spiritual quest for it. Um, so that's one uh, that I learned for sure. A second one is that for a lot of people, this is for ND years, their life is on a certain trajectory. And then this ND hits and it's basically a reset button for them. And for a lot of them, what I found is that maybe they were on a trajectory that wasn't leading toward their soul's purpose, that wasn't leading toward their purpose that they were supposed to share with the world. And this NDE often serves as almost a reset button for them that changes their trajectory in life. And what I found in talking with lots of grieving parents is the grief is often a reset button for people. 
And they now have become different people. They have become more spiritually deep people. They have become people who all that trivial, superficial, materialistic stuff that maybe they were involved in before that, they know that that's not really what it's all about. So those are things that, that really end up having or end up people end up changing in who they are. And one of the third thing is when people experience grief, as you know, Irene, it shatters you. It shatters Absolutely. you as a person. It shatters your view of the world. And one of the best things, and I have this in the book, is the Japanese art of kintsugi, that when a ceramic breaks, most people are thinking, oh, no, it's destroyed. What's going to happen? But there's an art called kintsugi in Japan where they take all these shards. And kintsugi means to join with gold. And they take this golden glue and they put pieces back together. And one of the analogies of that is when you're shattered and your life is shattered, you get to decide which pieces of your life are important ones that you're going to piece back together again. And you're going to try to make that whole back together again. And you're going to look at some other pieces that you're like, you know what? I don't know if that's going to fit for me moving forward with this. So that piece is not going to go. And they end up creating this beautiful even though it's broken, but now pieced back together, this beautiful piece of art that oftentimes is stronger, more beautiful, more valuable than it was when it was all whole in the first place. So that's one thing that a lot of grieving people have taught me is that when they have that grief, they get to decide which shards to piece back together as they move forward with their life. I can totally relate to that because that happened to me too. Jeff, you of all people, what is your message about the importance of healing that you'd like to share with our audience? Yeah, my message of healing actually comes from a Dr. Seuss quote. He once said that when you have grief or tragedy or adversity in your life, you have three ways that you can choose to handle it. One is have it destroy you. And I've talked with lots of parents and moms who just feel that destroyed inside that shattered that we were just talking about and that phase can certainly last either from months to years to maybe the rest of their lives that's a choice it's a, it's a hard one not to make it first it, it, you, you are going to have just those days where if you get out of bed that is a, a somehow a success that day so one way is when adversity strikes that you can be destroyed I think a second way that Dr. Seuss talks about is it can define you. And a lot of people, oh, well, that's the widow. That's the widower. That's the bereaved mom. You end up that in your social circles and everybody else, and they're not really sure how to talk to you or how to deal with you. And some of them just totally ignore you and drop out of your life because they're so uncomfortable with it. But it ends up defining you for a long time. And you kind of see yourself as that person who had that adversity or who, who is that grieving person. But the third way, and that's what I hope that I've seen so many beautiful moms and dads get to this level, is where it develops you. It ends up, as I said, creating something more beautiful and stronger and more compassionate than before. And you end up being a much deeper person 
a much kinder person, a much more empathic person, an empathetic person, and all these things. So that's, the, I think, the message with healing is you're probably going to go through all three of those stages, but you may not ever get to that developed one. And I think your message, Irene, and my message is get to that developed yeah, one when it's right for you. Right. You're going to go through the destroyed stage. Yeah. You're going to be in that defined stage, but hopefully at some point you can also get to that developed stage. And I always say to people that one of the reasons that it's so worth healing is for all the people in your life to pass it forward. And, and what so many people say is their loved one on the other side wants us to That's live our crazy. life, wants us to live fearlessly, wants us to live in their honor, wants us to go for the goals that we have in life. They don't always want us to, you know, to just spend our entire day crying in bed and mourning them or sitting at the gravesite or anything like that. They want us to go on and live when it's right for us to do that. Yeah. But they're there cheering us on. Yeah. You got a purpose, mom. You got a purpose, dad. You got a purpose, brother, whatever it is. Go do that. I'm right here. I'm cheering you on. I'll see you eventually. But go do what you need right. to do in your life. Don't get stuck with that destroyed stage that I talked about. Yeah, you're right. Jeff, tell everyone the best ways to connect with you. They want to join your soul peeps. They want to buy your book. They want to get on your site. Let it rip. Yeah, well, I mean, you. certainly they can go to uh, lifelessonsfromheaven.com. We've got uh, some various resources there that people can get. Um, I'm at Jeff at lifelessonsfromheaven.com as well. Uh, we also have a Facebook group, uh, which is Life Lessons from Heaven. So uh, we put a bunch of different resources there on near-death experiences and different videos and uh, various quotes and things there. So those are all ways that people can learn more and see if it's a fit for where they are in their spiritual journey or grieving process as well. Okay. And your tip for finding joy in life? Yeah, I think the tip is basically finding what your gifts are, finding what your purpose is in life, and then living fearlessly and sharing it with the world to make the world a better place. I think you and I would both agree that it seems to have worked for us. It, it hopefully is. And, <laughs> and yeah, you get a sense of joy and you create you a ripple effect of hopefully having other people do that same thing with their gifts. I really wish that for everyone. Jeff, thank you so much from my heart, truly for this tremendously enlightening interview. Near-death experiences remind us that we are magnificent spiritual beings having a human experience, not the other way around. Your profoundly wise book will surely help many to transform their lives as they incorporate the 10 life-changing lessons from heaven into their minds, hearts, and souls. And here's a loving reminder, everyone, that you can see the show notes and all Grief and Rebirth podcast episodes on IreneWeinberg.com. And make sure to follow us and like us on social at, at Irene S. Weinberg on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. As I like to say, to be continued, many blessings, and bye for now. Mm -hmm.